morning, True North. Come on, let's clap. It's good to be in God's house. <laughs> Are you doing all right today? You doing good? Hey, well, I'm grateful for you if you're here for the first time. I'm so happy that you joined us today and glad that you're part of what God is doing in this environment. And everyone joining us online, a shout out to our family at SCI Chester in partnership with God Behind Bars. Come on, let's show them love, everybody that's joining us. Well, today is our final part in this series called Love in Motion, and uh, we know through the conversation that the world presents a really warped perspective of what love is. They've always attempted, that world that is, to, to take what God presents and twist it and corrupt it and pervert it into meaning something completely different. And over the last four weeks, we've unpacked um, what love is, that it's the nature of God, that love is part of the nature of God, rather, and that God is love, and God sets the standard of that, and out of setting the standard of that, we know what love looks like and how our lives should reflect Him. Um, I wanted to just share with you next week, everybody say next week. Next week, um, I'm beginning um, a three-part series um, that we've decided to entitle Caves, Caves, and we are going to tackle head-on this epidemic of isolation and depression, and we're going to talk about it. Um, I'm going to share some stories um, of my personal journey related to the topic, um, and I really believe with all my heart uh, we're going to help people Get out of caves, um, if that's where you feel that you are, or people in your world. Um, and I believe through the teaching of the Word of God that will help people from getting into places of caves. And I believe that's the heart of our Father. It's not always to just pull people out of calamity, but to help them avoid stepping in it. Can you say amen? And uh, so I'm excited about that. Make sure next week that you, if you know people in your world that would really be blessed by that, make sure that you bring them out to church um, so that they can be part of the conversation. Last announcement is uh, the True North EP that the team have worked so diligently on. And I, it's blessed me so much. I hope that it's blessed you um, as, as a family. But it's now available on Spotify, Apple. And I have a list of all these. It's available, I think, everywhere. So now you can find it. I think the important thing for you to know is that you need to search True North Creative. Um, and when you do that, um, the EP album will come up. Is that good? Awesome. We can clap for the team. They've done a great job. Today, I want to unpack something with you that has um, messed with me. Um, how many of you know that when, when the Word of God messes with you, you know it's refining you, it's changing you, it's taking the presuppositions or the ideals or the things that you feel to be true, and it's kind of moving them. It's not an easy thing. It's, we can act like, oh, yeah, that's what the Bible says. Oh, yeah. It's one thing to hear it. It's another thing to believe it and to live it out. And, and I want to talk to you today about the difference between this divine love being unconditional. Um, and, and I want to talk to you not only about what unconditional love looks like, but I want to talk to you about the Father's love that it endures, that it endures. And I love what it says in Psalm 107, verse 1. It says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his love endures forever. His love endures forever. It doesn't go away. Um, I, I've, over the course of pastoring, I've had the opportunity to sit down with many couples, and some couples um, have been together for quite some time, and they've, they've, in their words, grown apart. 
Now, I've learned more um, from my parents in conversation with marriage and in counseling other couples, but this is a common thing in our culture today. You'll hear couples say this, that, that over time we've just grown apart. We, we just kind of have gone our separate ways. We don't feel the way that we used to feel towards one another, and we just kind of fell out of love. Has anyone ever heard that expression before? We, people say that. We've, we've, we've kind of just we've fallen out of love. And I don't think there's a better way for you and I to understand human love, a temporal love, than to process that statement. That I just fell out of love with that person. That it was momentary, it, was, it had a time stamp on it, and then when that time stamp expired, then I just, the love is gone. I just, it's, it ran away, it ran off. It's just, it's not like it used to be. And that's the exact opposite of what divine love is. It's the exact opposite. I, I, I realized in our culture today, we're so big in, in the marketing industry when it comes to telling you about the benefits of a product. And we are inundated with these on Instagram, on TV, on every social media outlet, on billboards. And, and people are always telling you how good their product is. And I just think it's fascinating. It's interesting because we are in this temporary world in which we live, everyone is telling you how dependable things are. If you buy a car, they'll tell you how dependable the car is. If you buy a washing machine or a dryer, if you're not married, that's, that's pointless to spend money on. But when, when you're married, you have kids. It's very important. And, and uh, you, you know, you go out and they'll say, this is the best one. This is what to buy. And it's interesting. Everyone tells you how dependable it is. But then if you read the fine print, it's only dependable to a certain point. And then at that point, it's like, hey, it could blow up, you know? It's like, that's the best car, it's the most dependable car. But once you hit that 100,000 mark, thing could catch on fire. And you're like, but for us, isn't it funny? In, in our humanity, when we hear that, we're like, oh, man, that's a dependable car. That's dependable. It's dependable for, for a period of time. But we're all right with that. We're all right with that. We're like, well, compared to everything else, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's longer than most. Can you imagine if God had his love towards us that way? That there was an expiration date on his love towards us. That in some moment in our course of, of serving him and following him, that he'd just say, oh, you know what? It's gone. It's just, I, it ran out. <laughs> I remember reading a commentary and one of, the, one of the scholars wrote in there that his grace and his love is inexhaustible. <laughs> Can't run out. It never stops. I don't know if we have the capacity to fully understand that. Because everything in our world has a stamp on it. It doesn't last forever. Is it really love if it's only temporary? God's love lasts and endures forever, Scripture teaches us. It's dependable. We can trust in it. We don't have to worry about Him, that His, his love will run out on us. <laughs> it doesn't fade. It doesn't rust, it doesn't weather, it doesn't need fixing up, <laughs> it's always there. It's unchanging, it doesn't need to be modified, it doesn't need to increase, it doesn't need to decrease, it's always there, it's steady, it's faithful. In Deuteronomy 7, 9 it says, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God. 
keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and teach and keep his commandments. God's love is faithful and it's enduring. As I'm reading through this, it's funny, right? We, we can sometimes strive to get something new from God, but that which he's already given us, we don't comprehend. <laughs> I remember hearing one of the most incredible theologians teach, and he was being interviewed. Um, and people were asking about the historicity of Jesus, and they're asking him about, you know, the resurrection. And, and he was, they were asking him all of these different things, and he sits there and he smiles, and he says these words, and some of you may know this. He looks at the person, and he smiles, and he says, Jesus loves me, this I know, <laughs> for the Bible tells me so. And I said, was, was that it? You know? Was, it, was that all? <laughs> Sometimes there's a simplicity of coming back to the place of understanding that we have the word of God that speaks truth into a chaotic world, into a busy world. But if we pause long enough to recognize the significance of what God gives us, it'll change you. It'll change you. God's love's not dependent on our performance or our worthiness to be loved. I remember hearing this teaching early on as a believer in Jesus. It was perplexing to me. It was confusing to me because I could hear it, but I couldn't process it. And the reason I struggled with that is because my whole life I watched behaviors be rewarded and other behaviors not be rewarded. I watched people love on people who were good and they listened. And I watched people who weren't good and didn't listen be disciplined and punished. And, and I was trying to figure out how can God's love not be dependent upon my behavior or my performance. This seems strange. It doesn't seem like love. It doesn't seem, it, it seems different. And it's quite frankly difficult for a child to comprehend and even more difficult for an adult to comprehend. I think the only time in my journey with Jesus that I, that I had a glimpse of understanding this is when I had my first child. And, and Harper, you know, she could do no wrong. And then she started to crawl. She started to talk. And then you're like, okay, maybe she can, you know. And, but I realized that as children, you, they, they can, children can disappoint you. And you can be pleased in their behavior. You can be disappointed, you can be pleased, but there's something about the love and the affection that you have towards your child, it just doesn't change. Like even when you're angry, you look at them, you're like, man, she is so cute. <laughs> man, she's precious. She's a gift from heaven. And you're like, I'm gonna whoop you where you are. You know, I don't know what it is, but there's that sense of being displeased and then being pleased and disappointed and all that. But my love towards her is unchanging. And maybe, just maybe, for me anyway, it was the glimpse of understanding the way that God sees me. And I, I don't know, I don't know if there's another verse in scripture other than Romans 5, 8, it says, but God demonstrated his love towards us that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. That'll mess you up. And if you really think about that, if you have any sense of self-righteousness in you, it is, it is sucked out of your spirit when you, when you meditate on that verse. That God's love towards you didn't change when you said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a better version of me today. You know, God's like, whoa, loving you now. I'm gonna love you now. And, and in the same way, there's nothing you could do 
to disappoint him enough to where he's like, oh, I'm sorry, my love just cannot come towards you. And so it's hard for us, right? It's hard for us to rationalize that his love is not dependent on our performance or our worthiness of it, but he gives it to us, presents it to us. Second Peter 3, it says that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. How many can say amen to that, that God is patient with you? He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So he's patient with you. I realize that the love of God extends towards us that he gives us free will. His love towards us extends in such a way to permit us free will, to choose him or to reject him, to choose him or to reject him. And and you have the freedom to love God or to walk from God, but not to be forced to follow God. I think there does come a point in your journey with the Lord where you need to ask yourself these questions. Why do I read the Bible? Why do I pray? Why do I go to church? And some of you who live in the household of your parents, you go because your parents are telling you to go. And that's all the reason you need right now. But you need to ask yourself the question, what do I believe of Jesus? Who is Jesus to me? And for some of us who think that's not a significant thing, Jesus asked the disciples that. He asked Peter that. Who do others say that I am? And then after they were very happy to say, well, some say this and some say that. And they were happy to tell Jesus what other people were saying. But then Jesus says to them, but who am I to you? And that's where we see Peter proclaim the foundation of the church. For you are the Messiah and the Son of God. Who is Jesus to you? When you, when you have your moment to ask questions like that, I think it's in those moments that you recognize that I am not being forced to follow Jesus, that I freely follow Jesus. It's the moment, it's that switch of the obligation towards the privilege. And I have to tell you, I said that for a long time before I believed it. Have you ever found yourself doing that? You'll say certain things, but you don't know if you really believe it. And maybe you believe it, but you don't necessarily like carry it as truth. Oh, what a privilege we have to serve God. That's why scripture, we, we, see, we see the patriots of the past and they say, man, I'd rather spend one day in the house of the Lord than a thousand elsewhere. You'd be like, man, I don't know if that guy's crazy or if he just had a really bad day in that one bad day or what it was. No, he, understand who, he understands who God is and his presence in the presence of God. There is nothing you could do to make God love you less any less than he does right now. And that, that can make some of us get a little bit confused about the love of God. I remember hearing someone say one time from a platform, there's nothing you could do to make God love you any less. And I was in my mind thinking, hey, tonight I'm going to go out with the guys. We're going to have a good time. I'm serious. I'm I'm just being really honest. And I was sitting in the back, probably in that section. So maybe someone back there. I'm just kidding. And, um, but I remember thinking that, like, well, should I? I don't know. And I remember hearing the pastor say this. Um, There's nothing you could do to make God love you any less. And I was like, awesome. I'm going, you know. I'm going. Done deal. Thank you, Jesus. I was just praying for the Holy Spirit to give me a word from heaven. Thank you, pastor, you know. And and I remember, um, I remember preaching one time. I, I was preaching something and 
and I said to some, I said these words like, hey, and you know, some of you need to stop trusting yourself. You just need to go. Trust God and go. And someone came up and said, I was just waiting for you to tell me to move. And when I heard you say, just go, I'm moving. I'm heading to California. I said, excuse me? You know, and sometimes we hear just what we want to hear, not what God's trying to tell us. And, and I remember in that, I, when I heard the pastor say that, I completely mis, misread and misinterpreted everything that he had stated. And the Apostle Paul addresses this constantly in the church. He addresses it in Romans. He addresses it in the book of Colossians. He addresses it in the book of First Thessalonians. And he says this. Some people, when he says that, so what should we do? Continue to sin more so grace, even about, so grace will abound even more? No. It's foolishness. And in Colossians and in 1 Thessalonians, he says, you need to live a life worthy of Christ. Live a life pleasing unto God. Pleasing unto God. So yes, we're, we're trying to convey this eternal, divine, unconditional love to humanity and that it is unadulterated, it is inexhaustible, it never stops. But in the same sense, you need to know that, that you can live a life that is dishonoring to God or live a life that's pleasing to God. And it needs to be understood that just because God's love towards you is inexhaustible and it doesn't run out and it's never changing, that you can choose to live a life of honor to God or a life that is dishonoring to God. The major difference between a human love and a divine love is that human love is only temporary. It doesn't last. It's conditional. And believe it or not, whether you think you're a great Christian or a follower of Christ, that humanity is still evident in our journeys. Sometimes it doesn't matter how long we've been married, we can expect our spouse to do certain things in order for us to treat her kindly or the other way around. And, but that's not a divine love. There are strings attached to it. And it's interesting because, <laughs> I mean, we have the, I don't know if it's a privilege or what you would call it to be this close to the city of Philadelphia and supporting the sports there. But um, isn't it so interesting to watch the way that the city of Philadelphia, um, the way that we treat the new athletes when they're good, they're our heroes, right? And we love them. We're like, "Woo! this is going to be good. And everyone's excited. And they get a standing ovation before they do anything. And then if they start to perform badly, I mean, it's, we're going to kill you. You know what I mean? It's like, welcome to the city of brotherly love. And like, we love you. And the moment you mess up, off with your head, you know? But, you know, I think a lot of us, we, we can do that in the way that we treat other people. We can say, oh, praise God, I'm going to love you. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to love you because God is love, and I'm a reflection of the image of God, and I'm going to love you. And then the moment they say something bad about you, you're like, dead to me, you know? And you're like, whoa, that, got, that went bad really, really quick. What just happened? It's because for us, it's wired into our DNA to be conditional on how we give love. It's conditional. Even to the point where we won't give any praise towards anybody if we think there's something wrong. <laughs> so we're so selective on how we love certain people. We love our local sports teams until they get on a losing streak. And we love our favorite restaurant until something goes wrong and we have a bad night. We love our siblings to death until they say something about us and then we're done with them for a few months or a few years. <laughs> it's just the problem I have with all of this is 
when we do that, we demonstrate we don't understand the love that God has towards us. This is, this is ultimately what it unravels to become, is the way you react to other people and the way you choose to love other people is direct reflection of your understanding of how you understand or have received God's love towards you. It's like, you ever told, have you ever been around someone and said, I can't forgive them? And the immediate thing in my mind is like, have you received the forgiveness that came from God? Because if you've received the forgiveness, then you should give it. And the same is true when it comes to the love of God. I heard this quote and it says that we often love things and use people instead of loving people and using things. And I've come to realize that in your journey with Jesus, one of the greatest things in walking with the Lord is to be used by God. To be used by God. And how does God use you? He uses you to love other people. To stand beside other people, to help other people. So how do we learn to love the same way that God loves? It almost seems like a, like a, a task that cannot be accomplished. And, and I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm, I, I want to win. I, I want to be, I want my life to reflect the goodness of God, the grace of God, the honor of God. And I, I, I want to win. And sometimes the challenges that seem before me seem insurmountable. I, I, I don't think that I can do what the Bible is asking me to do. And then I have to remember that I'm not doing this in my own strength. It's the Holy Spirit at work within me that's enabling me, empowering me, directing me, and guiding me to love other people the way that God loved me. And so what does this look like? It means that when we spend time with the Lord and we're in the scriptures and we're in his word, we need to understand that it's, we got to take the feelings of, that we have towards people. We got to take them and we got to move them aside and say, God, help me to love this person. Um, I've realized something. I'm excited about this. I, uh, when I get up in the morning and I pray for people and I speak and spend time with God, like a real, unrushed, unchaotic, which is sometimes challenging. So I just got to get up earlier each time. And that, that, that clock keeps, let's not talk about that. But I just have to keep getting up earlier because of the kids. But that's all right, because I realized something. That when I spend time with God in the morning in prayer and reading the word, guess what? I'm just a better reflection of God. Like, like I, it's really hard for me to spend time with the Lord and say, God, I am so grateful for everything you've given me, you've blessed me with, for all the things you've done for me. I'm so grateful for that. And I spent all this time with God. And then when I go throughout the day, there's just something different. But when I don't spend time with God, I mean, I am as Jersey as you can be, Okay. <laughs> And, and I don't know why. I don't know what it is. It's like, what's that switch? I'm just having a bad day. Christians are allowed to have a bad day, all right? And I just realized, no, it's, I'm not spending time with God. But if we spend time with God, man, we reflect his glory in all that we're doing. Can you say amen? And so that means we need to just make sure that we, we, we don't see it as optional. We don't see it as something maybe uh, if I find time, I... I've, the Lord ran me across an incredible man of God, another pastor from this region and... and um, and I really believe our lives become a reflection of the people that God brings into our lives. And you heard today that we're doing a gathering for the men in the house. And, and I have to tell you, I'm not, blame me if you're like, man, why don't we have these men's gatherings? It's, it's probably my fault. I'm not into the, to the like, let's play tug of war in the lobby. I'm just not into that type of things. I'm sorry, guys. I'm really not. Um, uh, but this is what I know. Hear me. This is what I know. 
that your life will reflect the people that you bring into it. And if you want to be a great father, if you want to be a great grandfather, and if you want to be, you know, a, a, a good student, if you want to honor God, you need to get the right people in your world. And many of you are going through life as men thinking, well, it's just who God brought in. No, no, um, there's an intentionality behind that of you going out and attempting to connect with other people to bring them into your world. And, and I, I really believe that that's what God wants of us. And in doing so, you'll learn how to better love your family, your, your children, your parents, your siblings, and even those that you might not get along with. Romans 13, 8, it says something there that I want to leave you with today. It says this, it says, let no debt remain outstanding. It means pay your bills. <laughs> don't, don't leave any debt outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Christ did not come to abolish the law, but came to fulfill the law. And how do we demonstrate our obedience to Christ? We live towards one another as if we have a continual debt to one another. Some of us, when we hear that word debt, we're like, oh, I don't like that word. But scripture teaches us that we have a continuing debt of love towards one another. And let that remain outstanding. Continue to meet people where they are, to stand beside people, to encourage people, to walk with people. There's nothing that you could do to pay back God for the sacrifice that he made in his son, Jesus Christ. But we live a life in reflection of receiving that goodness in constant debt to love other people. How do we know that God is in us in the way that we love one another and the people that are around us? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 through 3, this is what the word says. It says, imitate God. <laughs> it's not that challenging. <laughs> imitate God. Therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Now, if I stop there and I don't turn to the verse 3, it's like, ah, oh, it's warm and fluffy, and then I get to determine what it is. But then Paul continues, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. None. None. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sin have no place among God's people. And Paul's setting a standard. He's saying, if you want to love God and you want to keep his commandments, live in such a way that demonstrates that you do love God because you obey his word. <laughs> I don't know if you have this challenge, but have you found in this, in this season of life through COVID and politics, and maybe politics is one that really gets people like kind of leaning forward. Just by the fact of me saying that from the platform, some of you went, oh no, what is he going to say? It's, things can become very divisive. Um, conversations become very heated. The conversations around the kitchen table all of a sudden are like silence. The moment someone says, hey, did you see something? <laughs> you know, don't start, you know, type thing. And it's like, don't even go there. We're having a good time. And it's like everyone has this level of intensity. And like, oh, and, and it's within our family. It's with, with people that, we, that we, we would describe we love. And, and this is what I want you to know. When the Bible says that we are to love everyone, 
I don't know if you understand what that means and what that looks like in a practical way. But I can tell you one thing, if you're not praying for people in your world, you will not practically demonstrate love towards them. So we need to pray for people in our world, pray for our spouses, pray for our family, for our friends, for our neighbors, for our coworkers, for our children. Can you say amen to that? We need to make sure that we're praying for people. When you pray for people, it'll lead you to a place to love them. One of the things that was always challenging to me is it made sense to love people. The scripture teaches us to love people that are in God's house and to, to honor them and to love them. I, I, could, I get that. It's easy for me to process and it, it's easy for me to understand. But what about Matthew 5, 43, where Jesus teaches that you have heard that I said, love your neighbors, or you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. Can I tell you something? That's who we are. It's who we are. And I'm, I'm, I want you to really get this. It's not something we say and pretend to do. It's something that we should do in sight of what God commands us to do. We should pray for those who persecute us. We should pray for those who are our enemies. And every time someone brings up someone that is an adversary to the things of God, to the advancement of the kingdom of God, whether it be in politics or family or friends or job, whatever it is, pray for them. I wasn't expecting much response. <laughs> but pray for them. I'm serious, church. And this is what I know. If you're not praying for the people you love, you won't pray for the people you don't love. So make sure you're praying for the people in your world that you love. Listen, I have this, I don't want to say it in a strange way, but I have this really just wait from the Holy Spirit to equip you in such a way, start praying. I don't know how else to say it politely, but, but start spending time with God. Look at me very carefully. Nothing else matters. You're like, yeah, but what about my job? It, it hinges on how you see God. Everything does. Spend time with God. It's not, it's not optional. Let him know he's number one. Stop telling him he's number one and then he always arrives last at your priority list. Let him be first. Listen, I'm not trying to be hard with you. I want you to thrive in life. I want you to, to live as the head and not the tail. I want you to be confident and filled with faith and not with fear. But I, I can't give you that. That only comes from God. It only comes from you spending time with him, getting on your knees before the Father, opening up the word and, and letting your spirit be strengthened. And when you come into the house of God, it's not the filling up of an empty tank. It's the overflow of what the Holy Spirit has already given you throughout the week. Amen. Listen, to whom much is given, much is required. And I want you to know, I really believe that a mandate on this house is that God will require much of us much of us, in prayer, in fasting, in giving, in serving, in all of those things. And I, I remember if, if, if I'm supposed to pray for those who, who don't like me, then do I spend time with people who are just dishonoring to God all the time? I remember every time I would leave my house and, and my father knew, he knew that when I was doing stuff that I probably shouldn't be doing or and I say, well, Dad, I'm going to witness the people. I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to the club to tell people about Jesus, okay? <laughs> I don't think it ever worked, but I said it. Like, people need Jesus, Dad. Jesus spent time with sinners, okay? 
Say, son, you're, you're not Jesus, okay, you know. But 1 Corinthians 15.33, it says, do not be misled. Poor company or bad company corrupts good character. So when the scripture instructs us to pray for those who persecute us, he's not saying live with people who dishonor God. He's saying pray for them. Pray for them. But don't spend time and absorb an amount of time with them because poor company corrupts good character. Ephesians 4.15, it says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ Jesus. Final verse for you is found in Galatians. Man, I, I think I broke a little sweat. Galatians chapter 6, this is what the text says. I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke this to me this morning when I was reading. And I say this a lot. I say, don't grow weary in doing good. Have you, have you heard that verse in Galatians? Don't grow weary in doing good. A lot of us grow weary. You will always grow weary in serving yourself. But that verse doesn't pertain to you if you're serving yourself. That scripture is for those who serve God and do good. Sometimes we read the text, you're exhausted today, you're burnt out, you're restless. You'll always be like that if you continue to serve yourself and try to do things on yourself and accomplish things in yourself. But the scripture gives us promises. Some unconditional, some conditional. But scripture teaches us not to grow weary in doing good. Listen to what he writes to the church. He says, do not be deceived. Can I tell you, church, every time the scripture begins that way, you have to know that people are deceived. It means that you're looking them in the eye and you're saying, you're wrong. And they're like, no, 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 I'm fine. And scripture tells us at the beginning, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. He cannot, you know what that means? God's not tricked. God's not, you're not, you're not fooling God. You're, you're not, and, and some of you, you need to know this. The reason I'm saying this is I want you to know that God's love towards you is unchanging. But he knows how you act. And some of us, we have this warped idea that like, well, in church I serve. No, you're not, you're not, this, we're not called to a building. We are the church. We are the called out ones, the ecclesia. We, we are the ones chosen by God to live and to be, to be the light of the world wherever he places us. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from their flesh, they will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Amen. <laughs> no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. I want you to hear that. That God loves you more than I can articulate. And I feel like the more I open up the word, the deeper his love seems to be towards me. It's overwhelming. I don't know how to respond to God. The more I see how much he blesses me and 
loves me and cares for me in good seasons and in hard seasons. It's overwhelming that we have the privilege to be called sons and daughters of heaven. Maybe you're here today watching online if you've never confessed your need of Jesus. I need you to know something. In a chaotic world, in a crazy world, many people don't understand how one receives salvation. How one receives salvation. The Bible teaches very clearly that salvation is found in Jesus alone. And it teaches us that sin separates us from the Father. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It teaches us in Romans. And there is a wage to that sin. And the payment for sin is death. So so many people always ask, if God is so powerful, why did he send his son to die? Because he's a just God. And he doesn't change his nature just flippantly. He doesn't just say, well, I'm going to change and make an exception here and here. No, when sin exists, there must be a penalty, a payment for the penalty of sin. And so God sent his one and only son from heaven to earth. And maybe no more perfectly expressed than in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And I love verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but rather to save the world. Paul writes in Romans 10, 9, that we receive salvation as a free gift from heaven, free gift from heaven, but we receive it through the confession of our mouth that Jesus is Lord and through the belief in our heart that God raised him from the grave. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna have a time to pray right now for you. Maybe you're here today and you've never repented of your sins and asked Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. I want you to know that that is and always will be the most significant prayer that you ever pray on this side of eternity. Is that moment in time to connect with your Father, the one who made you and formed you. The Scripture teaches us that He knew you before you were formed in the womb of your mother, that He cares for you, that He has plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And in this moment with many other believers around you, we're going to say this prayer with you so that you can belong to the house of God. Can you bow your heads and close your eyes? Come on, in this moment, let's pray. Repeat these words after me if you're saying this prayer for the first time and everybody else, come on, let's encourage those who are far from God who who are deciding in this moment to surrender their life to Jesus and say, I choose to be a child of God. Come on, say this prayer. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord. I believe that he died on the cross and conquered sin and death. Forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. I am now a Christian and Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's clap for everybody. Really clap for people that said yes, church. Come on. Come on, church, let's stand to our feet before we go. I always told myself when I began this journey in pastoring that, you know, we all want to just feel good that we're all doing the right thing all the time. And, and I, one, of the, one of the men that God brought into my world has been such a blessing to me. And he's a blessing because, hear me now, this is why things like crews and different events, whether they're for the women, true women, or North men, whatever the event may be, it's more than an event. It's an opportunity for God to bring someone into your world that can help shape you <laughs> and point out blind spots that you've lived with for your 
whole life. And if they love you enough and you trust the right people enough and bring them into your world, man, there's nothing better than having a brother or a sister in the Lord point out areas in your life that you can become a better reflection of Jesus. And I'm grateful for that. And I need some of you to know that, that welcome that. The Bible says that that's a, that's a demonstration of wisdom. One who welcomes correction is a demonstration of wisdom. And those who refuse it are fools. Man, I pray that this house is filled with people who, who love Jesus and seek after wisdom and understanding so that we can not just endure seasons like this, so that we can thrive and lead people to Jesus. Amen? Man, I'm so excited for you. If you said yes to Jesus today, we have a gift for you as you exit today. In the lobby, you'll see people out there um, waving these Bibles around. And so if you say that prayer for the first time, I know that you want to exit as quickly as you can. You're saying as soon as that pastor is done talking, I'm going to sprint to my car. That's fine, and I'm all right with that. But on your way out, just attack one of those people that have, don't attack them, but you know the people that are waving these things and say, hey, I made a decision to follow Jesus. We'd love to pray with you and to encourage you and share more stuff with you, but it's important for you to understand how to belong to this family. There's a bunch of material in here that'll help you make that decision. And if you don't want to talk today, that's fine, but we'd love to talk to you this week. One of our pastors would love to reach out with you, but make sure you stop and you see someone and make sure you grab that Bible. For everyone online, let the pastors in the chat know that you made a decision to follow Jesus. We'd love to, to extend these resources to you as well. Listen, last thing, stretch your hands to heaven. Let me pray for you before you go. Father, I thank you for this family in this place. Holy Spirit, God, and direct us this week. May we love or attempt to love in a way that you love us. Man, God, we're not going to lie. It seems like a challenge that we can't win. But Father, we will continue to strive to reflect you well. We will live in such a way that we have a debt of love to those around us. We will continue to pray for our enemies and we will love them. Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, convict us. Convict us to spend time in prayer and in reading the word. Father, may this be a house of biblical literacy. May we know your word. May we pray. May this be a house of prayer. May this be a place where we, we run to you. We don't need to schedule things, God. We come to you every morning. You get our first and our best. Father, we love you for what you're doing in this place. We thank you for what you've begun in us. Father, I thank you that faith always triumphs over fear. Father, I thank you that you've called us for such a time as this and that no weapon formed against us will prosper. Father, I thank you for the work that you've begun in this place. For all those who need prayer, Father, I thank you that you've equipped our next steps area with great people to love on them, to pray with them. So, Father, go with us as we go today. In your precious and holy name we pray, a faithful church said. Amen. Amen. God bless, guys.